into the area. Janček, stab through, chance, shot, goal! Full stop! Unbelievable scenes at the end for the derby! Hello and welcome to Scarves Around the Funnel, the podcast dedicated to Heart of Midlothian Football Club. I am Laurie Dunsire, joined once again by Mark Donaldson. And I am excited today because Henry Smith is our guest and someone that I and many others who listen to the podcast um, grew up with. And he's our special guest this week on the back of Andy Webster, who I thought was excellent last week and, and sandwiched in between the fact that we were less shit than we, than they were. And um, in the fog, supposedly we won 1-0. No one said any different. I listened to 75 minutes of the commentary and it was great. And then for the final 15 minutes on Hearts TV, it was all right when the ball was in Hearts half. But um, you, I tell you, that, that was a tough gig, was it not, Laurie Dunsar? It was interesting, yes. No, yeah. I've, I, I, I mentioned early on Bob Kingsley uh, commentated yes. in, in 1940 <laughs> and um, and Rob Rob and I had a wee back and forth about him on a couple of occasions and it's one of these stories where I, you know, we don't have time this podcast because we've got Henry coming on and that's going to be a long chat I can you know I can tell he's a, a hearts legend of course he deserves a bit of time to to go through his memories of his, his time at the club but if you don't know the story, I think we should maybe do a podcast on it sometime when we've got a good show, yeah. Go into it. But in the meantime, if you want to look up Bob Kingsley and the um, Edinburgh Derby of New Year's Day in 1940, it's a very interesting mm. story with fog, Nazis, goals, um, creativity in the commentary box and all sorts. But it was an interesting game on Saturday. We'll, we'll talk about it very briefly. We do have Henry Smith coming on, and I feel this is going to end up being a two-parter anyway, because I know <laughs> he's, you know, the length of time he played at Hearts, you know, I mean, there's, there's mm. enough, there'll be a lot of stories to go into. So we'll talk about, um, we'll talk about Dundee briefly before we get to Henry Smith. We should probably say the reason Ryan McGowan is not with us today, we're recording this on Tuesday the 21st of December, is because he is away winning a cup, doing what he does best. Oh, is he? I, I yeah. thought he was away to I thought he was away to Melbourne um, to to bring back Nathaniel Atkinson because this Indeed. podcast yeah. you, you you now just pick a name that might work. We will then submit it to the football club, and if it works, then they'll sign the player. So McGowan involved in the remember we spoke to to um, Cami Devlin about mm-hmm. Natty Aka, and it was Ryan that Na- actually Natty Aka yeah. And it was Ryan that brought the player's name up. So if you've got any players that you want <laughs> hearts to say, um, a pal of mine, Lenny, ones, yeah. Let, yeah. Lenny from Pedicook sent me a message. He's like, there's this kid that's doing well down south for Morecambe called um, Cole Stockton. We should sign him. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, you're, you're right. Hearts have agreed a deal to sign Australian right back Nathaniel Atkinson from Melbourne City, who... Mark and Ryan spoke about on an episode, and then it was spoken about with Cammy Devlin as well. I think it's two episodes we spoke about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what what commission did we uh, did we agree with the uh, football club? It's probably Ryan. That's why he's 
that's why oh, it's loaded. He's loaded already sorted it, yeah. Um, Winning cup finals, meeting kings, and and doing middle. He's the middleman as well to bring his uh, pals to Tanker. Oh, tell you what, indeed. this is the place. Oh, fantastic! Um, and I'm sure everyone's read by the time they're listening to this thread that he's on his way. The 22 year old um, will could arrive in Edinburgh as soon as he uh, receives his UK work permit. The Scottish Football Association have already already approved him for visa. And hearts are just waiting for government officials to do likewise. That was Barry Anderson in today's evening news. So, so good news. Someone who's uh, played for the Australian under-23 team, uh, played in two of the three matches at the Summer Olympics in Japan. Apparently very energetic right back, likes to get forward. And I think Ryan and Cammy both talked about that as well. Could fit in very well with the hearts wing-back system. So looking forward to his arrival. Um, we should probably mention, but before we get to Dundee... I know we've got Henry Smith on, which is partly why we're not going to talk about Dundee too much, but also the news today, and we're going to talk about it briefly because it's a very fluid situation, but we know best case scenario now, there will be at most 500 people at the next matches, for hearts anyway, from Boxing Day. Um, Nicholas Sturgeon's announced outdoor events will now be restricted for at least a three-week period. Uh, However, it's already been revealed that there are some talks, even if they're informal, underway between the Premiership clubs over bringing the winter break forward. So um, it might change. The broadcast is going to have a big impact, but this is such a blow, isn't it, Mark, after what we went through last winter? I hate mixing politics with sport, but it's impossible not to mix the two this time. And, And for everything that everyone has been through, and then you think there's light at the end of the tunnel, 500, why? I mean, it's 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 nonsense. It's it, and I don't want to get into it too much because things may change as as far as maybe trying to bring um, games or the winter break forward and, and play the derby at a later. Day. I I don't know, but I'm not the only. In fact, you you find me someone that that agrees with that wholeheartedly. Uh, I just I, I just worry for the psyche of a of a, a fragile, a mentally fragile nation that we're all part of, or whether it's Scotland or whatever. Don't take away the things that mean most to us and give us something to look forward to. That's the one thing, Laurie, throughout this whole thing, that me, you, everybody else, as long as we've had something to look forward to at the end of a day, a week, a month, a year, next year, or whatever, it keeps us going. Why? Why? I don't agree with it. No, and I think many will feel the same. Like We can't get into it too much just now because we think things might change in terms of fixtures being postponed, but it looks like the best-case scenario. In fact, I think most people would feel the best-case scenario now would be that we don't play games with 500 people in there because, and I think our... I think our head coach would fully agree with that as well. He would. Uh, you know, a, you've got Edinburgh Derby, you've got a, a Glasgow, an old firm Derby, however you want to call it these days, and you've got a Dundee Derby coming up. These aren't games that you want. They're for the fans. Yeah. These games are for the fans. And if it, you know what, if it means just saying no more games after this midweek and to, no more games from the 26th until the end of January, we'll make it work. But give people something to look forward to. Give them an Edinburgh Derby, an Old Firm Derby, a Dundee Derby. Give them, even if it's a thousand people that go to a second, a third division game, a a junior game as well, give them something to look forward to over Christmas. Don't do this, please. Hearts fans did manage to to get through Dens Park at the weekend. uh, Almost 1,500. A a decent following. I mean, Robbie Mm -hmm. just acknowledged that 
some decided not to go for reasons that he understood, but he was glad for those that did and made themselves heard. Uh, it wasn't the, the nicest game of football, which we, we should say that. Um, but one thing we spoke about, and as I say again, you know, apologies if people are after deep analysis of this game, but we've got a, a quick agenda this week. But in terms of hearts this season, we've spoken about trying to get more away wins and trying to dig out wins when it's not a pretty game of football, when we've yeah. not been at our flowing best. And that was one of those, wasn't it? Because that could have easily been a nil-nil or Dundee could have been the team to, to to nick the goal. But we dug in and I think I was really pleased. And I think you could hear Rob Borthwick was really pleased on commentary. And I think all the Hearts fans are really pleased that the man who ended up winning the game for us was Jamie Walker. Oh, brilliant. So tough from him. Rob in commentary just was so effusive in his, in his praise. And you saw what it meant from. I'd start him. I'd start him next time against Ross County, and who knows, if he can kick on, then he can maybe secure a future at Tynecastle rather than St. Johnston or Livingston or or whatever. These are games that, we, I said right at the start, we were the less shit of two shit teams, and it's all about getting the result. With Motherwell winning, they would have narrowed the gap to three points if we'd got a draw. You look at any team that got a win at the weekend, especially the bigger teams in England, and a lot of them weren't at their best, but they found a way. That's what it's about. We can't a few weeks ago say, you know what? We should let's let's win ugly for a change and then change our tag. Can't believe we're winning ugly. We need to win nice again. A win's a win in a shithole of a place. We move on, we get the three points. It will not be an end of season highlight reel. Craig Gordon only had one save to make. Jamie Walker scored the winner. Win, win, win all round. Peter Haring looking like he's oh, back to his best. Oh, Rolls-Royce. in the middle. Fantastic. Roll. I said, we said that on the podcast when Benny went out. If Peter can get a, a prolonged period of games, um, then I, I don't see that Benny's kind of absence would be as, as harshly felt if Peter could get back to where he was. And there was a doubt, but it looks like all he needed was a, was a kind of run of games, consistency, a Rolls-Royce of a... Of a performance. Look, there's a lot of questions. I'm not. I'm not papering over all the bad issues or whatever. Leave them for another day. There's plenty of time to be negative after a defeat. Let's accentuate the positives after a win, shall we? Indeed. So we, we won't talk about the refereeing decision that ended up with Stephen Kingsley going off injured. Oh, fucking Willie Collum, Jesus. <laughs> Hearts to get the win though. And, it's not even uh, a foul. It's not. It's not. Uh, I'm thinking that's a, that's at least a yell. He's not even given a foul. Jesus. I know. I know, Sorry. crazy, you, crazy. You got me, you got me, you mentioned it, you got me. Hearts did did get the win, and it keeps some five points clear in third place, uh, going into a couple of very winnable, famous last words, a couple of decent fixtures at Tynecastle before the Edinburgh Derby, which, and all these might get played, they might not, but we will find out. But in the meantime, we can move on. Well, this is a delight. This is a privilege. Growing up, um, I can't speak for anybody else. I had a couple of heroes, John Robertson. He put the ball in the high bees net and many others. And Henry Smith usually kept it out, the opposition, from scoring. And he was, uh, we'll never forget those puffed cheeks as he sends the ball long upfield, those garish tops. And you know what? One of the highlights about Scarves Around the Funnel is having Henry on today to talk about puffing those cheeks out, that perm. That save from Tommy Coyne and so much more. Henry, how are you? And thank you for coming on. I'm very well, Mark. And it's a pleasure, mate. Thank you for asking me. No problem. No, We, we have a thing on, on, on this show, Henry. We, we love to, to reminisce when we were yeah. actually quite good. 
and I'm sure there'll be a, there'll be a lot of reminiscing tonight. Um, I, I tell you what, it, it doesn't feel like it's more than a decade since you mm. and I shared a Talk 107 studio for, for Friday Night Football with a couple of the Hibs boys, and yeah. uh, you were able to tell a few good stories then, so hopefully you're able to tell a few good stories today. Uh, there's more than a few, mate, I'll tell you that, <laughs> all, these, uh, all these years, Paul. You know, it's it's been in some career if I had anyway. I'm thoroughly enjoyed. Well, I'm I'm glad you you get the chance to to go over it tonight because we're really looking forward to to, to hearing it. And I I want to I want to take you right back to to the start yeah. and um, tell me about the upbringing. And this isn't a, this is your life or anything like that. But there's not mm. many people that spend three years or so in the mines have their legs trapped twice and nearly lose them and go on to walk again, never mind play football <laughs> again. What was life like back then? Life was hard back then, though, Mark. Um, you know, when I, I first knew yeah, people telling me I was a good goalkeeper, I was, I was only like 14, 15, and I was playing down in England in like junior terms, which is up against like older, older people. And I was like 14 and 15. And it's a good thing I had my dad along me all the time because like, I used to get banjoed every game, you know, because people got to know that I, how good I was and stuff like that and tried to knock me out of the game. And as my dad knows, I was a bit of a hothead then, uh, just like him himself. And he just kept me intact. And it was one of them where I went through one stage where I had a trial at Barnsley. And they said I was too small. I played there at the trials Tuesday and Wednesday. I always remember Tuesday and Wednesday. And I played out, out of my skin, thought I was outstanding. And then the scout took me across, or the, the, the coach took me across and says, look, mate, brilliant how you are, but we don't think you're going to be big enough for the game. And I went, oh, fair enough then. Went to my dad and I thought that was it over. You know, just went and played. Um you know, got apprentice brick, uh, apprentice apprenticeship at Brick Lane, which didn't quite go to plan because the, the firm went bust. And then I went about six months on the door and I thought, bugger this, I've no money coming in. It's hardships with the family. They were my dad was doing the pit. Um, the money was the you know, we're struggling a wee bit. So I just said to my dad, all right, I'm gonna do in the pit. And he went, No, you're not. I said, I am, I want to bring money. I've got any money in my pockets. You've struggling a wee bit, so I want to bring money in as being, you know, the older one of the, the kids. So I did with that, and I spent like three, I think it was three years down the pits. And it was in one in South Kirby, you know, Arthur Scargill country. And, uh, and my dad, well, can you show me the rope sort of thing? And uh, I was down, like, down the mines, you know, about a mile and a half down the pits, pit shafts and all that. And it's supposed to take you two and a half years to go from the pit shafts to the face, the coal face, where the machinery is, took me four weeks because I wanted excitement. I mm -hmm. wanted to go see the men. I wanted the, the banter that I loved. The excitement, that was it. And I was a bit of one of them lads, a kid, go free, lucky guy who just enjoyed life. Hard work it was, but the banter that the men got you through it. Yes, I had a couple of things, mishaps, you know, being careless, um, Lucky for me, I got away with it, even though I was carried out once, morphine and that. But as they say down a bit, these things happen. It makes you tough. You get on with it. But wow. I, still, I still played. I mean, I always mm -hmm. remember. I always remember 
coming out the pits to go training at Frickley Colliery. That's where I was playing, but worked down South Kirby. And I used to run up the, um, the lane to get the bus. And the time I'd come out the shower and go up to the pit lane in the winter, right up to the top to catch the bus, my hair had turned frosty and stuff like that. You know, which, you know, it's, it's, it's hard times then, but I need money. You know, well, I couldn't get up in the cars. It was the time I couldn't drive. Uh, so I had to catch the bus here, there, and everywhere. And it actually turned hard my hair at the top of the frost, just running up the, the, uh, the actual uh, lane to get the bus. And that's what I had to do to go training. And uh, I think it was to get me in good stead, you know, for the later things in life, what was, was going to happen. Mm. Made me strong up top, um, you know, made me you know, look at things differently. And um, when I played games, you know, as you know, the way I played, um, it was, I was happy to be there. I, don't, I didn't, I, well, I'm not saying this, I didn't care, I've made mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes, Mark, as you know, mm. but, but it's how you go over them. And I just thought to myself, I just think, went to them days and said, that's work. This is something you enjoy to play football. And that's how I thought I'd be stronger up top in my mind. So, and it, it set me in good stead through the years. You need a lot of hair to have frost on hair. Is, is, is this perm days? Is this the days of, of, no. of the perm or is, no. is this still to come? That's still to come, Mark. Them days my hair was straight as hell. It was straight as a ruler. And it was shoulder length in them days, you know, a beatnik sort of thing. And I just let it grow. And I used to, you know, have it, put a hat on and stuff like that. The perm didn't come to eggs and actually went to hearts. Basically, <laughs> when I when I went to Hearts, when you know when it was in the uh, like Alan Roth days, you know Peter Shelton days, them guys when they they got the perm, I thought I'll have a bit of that and see how it goes. And that's another story. That's that's later on, mate. I'll tell you a few things about that as well. But uh, here, here's uh, one my, for you, Henry. Go on, man. Um, go on, man. What part inadvertently did Brian <laughs> Clough have in you ending up at Leeds? Right. When I was playing, when I was doing the pit, um, I got asked, a, a scout came to me and says, I've been watching you for five years and you always had an attitude problem, which I knew about, but nobody came, told me how to over it. So he came in with one and he says, look, I've got you a trial up at Sunderland. And I went, oh yeah, okay, I've got a week's, a week's holiday anyway coming up, which he already knew about. So he already you know, investigated it and told me I could have the week off. So I went to the boss, he said, yeah, it's all right, away you go. So I went up to Sunderland where the manager was Jimmy Adamson and his number two was Dave Merrington. And I was up there, supposed to be up there for a week and I lasted three days <laughs> when the manager, Adamson, asked me to come into his office on the Wednesday after training. And I thought, oh, what have I done now, sort of thing. But he just said to me, look, big man, you've been excellent the last three days, training magnificent we like to sign you. I went, okay. He says, there's a two-year contract for you. Take it home with you tonight. Talk a bit with your dad and get back to me tomorrow. I thought, brilliant. So I just took it with me. Went to my dad, showed my dad it. Yeah, the dad just went, that's great. I thought he'd be bouncing off the roof and all that. The professional footballer for a son. But not, he just says, that's great. But Jimmy Adamson was on the phone. He looked to give him a ring straight away. I says, oh, what have I done? He says, nothing, he just wants you to give you a ring. So this was like half ten at night, so I buzzed him. 
And he just went on the phone. He went, it's, uh, it's Henry here. You want to talk to me, Mr. Adamson? He says, aye. He says, uh, how would you like to go to Leeds? I says, no, I'm not thought you were at Sunderland. He says, well, I'll tell you that Brian Clough's getting sacked in the morning sort of thing. I'm getting a job and I want you to be on first signing at Leeds on Friday. <laughs> and I says, you could, are you kidding me? He says, no. He says, that's going to happen. And that's exactly what happened. That was his, Jimmy Adamson's first signing when he got the manager's job at Leeds after Brian Clough got the sack. So you've gone from yep. down the mines Correct. to within a few weeks being in a Leeds dressing room full of what kind of legends? Hey, you're talking Paul Madeley, Trevor Cherry, uh, Peter Lorimer, David Harvey, David Stewart with two goalies, Norman Hunter, um, <laughs> Eddie Gray, Frank Gray, uh, and a few others, basically. And I was actually saying that I said the same, Mark, because the week before I watched these guys on TV, not thinking where it'd be, uh, just uh, thinking, well, I'm going up to Sunderland this week, oof, and watching Leeds on match the day on the Saturday night. On the Monday, I was at Sunderland. Then the following week, I was at Ellen Road, watching them play on Saturday in the game, and in the dressing room with them. And I'm thinking, what the hell's just hit me? You know, just being there in front of these guys, and I'd been Jimmy Adamson's first signing, and then coming to Leeds, well, having to work, I think it was um, a week's worth, as you do in them days, got to work a, a week or two weeks, I can't, I can't really remember, and then going to Leeds to start work there on a two-year contract. So Leeds, you had there were spells at Frickley and, and, and yeah. Winterton. You didn't play that yeah. often um, for, for Leeds, certainly competitively, because you had the yeah. likes of David Seaman and, and John Lukic. So you're in the last week of your contract at Leeds. Yeah. There's, yeah. There's, no, there's no real interest from elsewhere. You've decided... I believe, to go back down the mines until a certain flamboyant Hearts chairman came in for you. Tell us more. Aye, that, that was uh, the weeks left, like you say. And uh, I was thinking, what am I going to do? And uh, my job had been left open for me at the colliery. And uh, I phoned the guy up to say, like, is it okay? He says, no problem, if it doesn't work out for you. The job's still there for you. And then I got the phone call from a, a certain... Um, Les Porteous, who was the secretary, uh, the, the, the secretary, sorry, at, at Hart and Midlothian. So I says to my dad, who are Hart and Midlothian? I says, I've never heard of them before. He says, you're kidding me. This is the third biggest club in Scotland behind the old firm. And I says, well, this asked me to go and tour with them, you know, up the northeast uh, to play Bishop Portland, Whitley Bay and that and that. And it's just a week's trial and I've got weeks left at Leeds. Leeds have said they've okayed it and I could go up and just show them what I can do. And so, and, and that's what happened. I went up there, played, I think, the second game, the second half, when Johnny Bruff was a goalie and Johnny came off, I went on. And after I played 45 minutes, uh, I got introduced to Wallace Mercer, uh, the chairman of Hearts, who asked me, um, would you like to come and play for us? And I went, uh, I'd be delighted, you know, I was flabbergasted. We only played 45 minutes. And because of the 45 minutes, I think it was a certain sports writer for the evening news. Um, the boy was a boy, Eric Brown. Is it Eric Brown? Remember, Mark? Stuart Brown. Stuart, Stuart Brown. Brown. That's him. Stuart Brown was sitting next to Wallace in the, in the stand, the wee stand there. 
and turned around to Wallace and says, you better sign that goalie because he could take a cross. I could, I could take crosses all day long because that's what I did for 45 minutes in that game. And this like, cross after cross came in and I just came out and take them and took them. Just as it's confident in itself. Maybe over exuberance and too confident. I just came and took everything and, and everything stuck. And that's what he says to Wallace. And Wallace says, I think it's a good idea. And that's where it started, mate. Yeah, 25 years old when you made that debut against North Shields. Right. And and then your time at Hearts begins, and that's when Laurie's going to pick up and, and right. start. See what you got, yeah. Laurie. What you got, yes, so, um, so three years at Leeds and yeah. uh, £2,000 took you to, to Hearts Lothian, I believe, which was pr- right. probably a bit more money back then, I think. You and Mark can testify to that. Steady. Uh, <laughs> 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 so t- Tony Ford was the the boss who took you there. Although you, I don't think you you would only play for him for was it about half the season, I think was it. I think um, it was half the season. Yeah. What was he like as a boss before before Alex McDonald came in? Tony t- Tony was actually I thought was kind of a man management sort of type of guy who knew um, what to say to players and stuff. Knew you know um, after I trained for two weeks and then he he would chat with me. And it always back to this attitude of mine in them early days where, you know, I, I always thought if I lose a goal, it was my fault. Nobody else's. If I lose a goal, my fault. And I used to just go around, not my head down, but being an angry man, you know, red mist, blah, blah, blah. And of course, if you know, if you start thinking like this, then the mistakes come rattling off, you know, one after the other, like red buses come along. And uh, he just took me to one side and he just gave me this wee look. You've all the confidence in the world, big man, but you're channeling it in the wrong way. Make a mistake, forget it, talk about it afterwards. Make a mistake, go to the coach, talk about it afterwards. Do not dwell on it during the game because then that's when the opposing uh, uh, management, the opposing team will know that they've got you in their hooks and they will play on that. And that's when the mistakes will come and they'll get goals after goals after you which was a good piece of advice that he would give because he knew how to talk to the manager, the, the players, sorry, he knew how to talk to the players. And that, that's what I thought it was a good man management. So you'd obviously been at Leeds United, although you hadn't played a team that had uh, yeah. recently been runners up in the European Cup. Uh, they'd won yeah. the title in England just a few years before. So you came to Hearts, you said you'd you didn't know who who Hart and Midlothian were no, at that point. I didn't, they, honestly. They, I didn't. They, were in the, they were in the first division. So what 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 was the situation at the club at that point, having just recently been relegated? Was it sold as, you know, you're going to be part of the kind of Phoenix yeah. rising and, and Hearts returning to, to where they once were? Well, 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 the talk was it went, you know, you'd be one-on-one with Johnny Brough, who was the at that time the Scotland under-21 keeper. And I went, yeah, I'm up for that, no props, because I didn't want to go back down the pits. So it gave me another chance to stay in the football. So then when I went from Leeds to Hearts, totally night and day sort of thing, when you had to take your own gear, uh, Hearts, take it home, get it washed, clean your own boots. Uh, totally different uh, way of running the football club. And I, and I just went, I'm used to that anyway, because being down the pit, that is hard work and what it being a footballer is, as you know. And it's it was totally different to Leeds, yes. And it opened my eyes up, you know, to get this club in the in the, the right uh, division. And I wanted to be a part of that to get them up into the the, um, the first division in them days it was called. 
And it was just a start, you know. And first and most, most it was hard work, you know, just to get in front of Johnny Bruff, you know, because Scotland's under 21. And, yeah, totally different from Leeds. And uh, I just, just got my eyes down and just got on with the job. And that's what I did. So January 82 in that first season, this is Alex McDonald's yeah. first league game in charge. So you lost 3-0 at home to Motherwell in the first division. At that point, Hearts are sitting sixth in the first division. So Alex McDonald, we you know, will get to, to what comes later. But at that point, yeah. you know, where were Hearts at? And where, was it a big job for him to come in and create the team that he would eventually create within the next few seasons? Or was it a case of... Straight away, you felt like you were maybe there was more to come from this heart side, not a mid-table kind of first division yeah. team. They, you could always see there was more to come because of the, the youngsters that they have, you know, coming through the team that are playing the reserves and stuff. They were good players. We Alex come in, and we Alex was a man manager, big time, and he needed somebody, you know, to be like the football brains um, and behind them or be co-manager. And that's just where we, we come in with, with Sandy Jardine. But at the time, uh, it was hard work for us because um, we were playing with players um, that had gone and I think passed their sell-by day or just second division players that we had. And this is where Alex came in and, and, and went to Mercer at Wallace to say, we need this, we need that. We need one there. We need somebody up front. And this is where he came in with kids and experienced pros. And it worked a treat. Competition at the start. You mentioned John Bruff, Henry. Yeah. Uh, Ian Westwater was in there as yeah. well. Um, Andy Bruce played a game. And we'll mention Andy in a second. Yeah. Because you really kicked on uh, end of March 1982. That was the first of 195 consecutive league appearances for you for Hearts in a 3-0 win at Wraith. Did yeah. you feel at that stage, and bearing in mind, if that's March 1982, yeah. you just turned, what, 26? Yeah. So did you feel that, obviously, you were you, you were ready, but you were the undoubted first choice and you were better than what was already there? I always thought to myself, you know, you know, less people telling me, you know, people were telling me how good I was, but I had to show it to myself how good I was. And that started with in training. You know, when, when other goalkeepers come in, um, you know, when I went training with them, I had to put my authority on them with the way I trained. You know, I trained like a beast, absolutely hammered myself, and that's the way I played. I always said that. So when Johnny was there and then Westy, then Big Andy came in, Big Andy Bruce, and straight away, I could lift it, if you know what I mean. I could up another level of uh, the way I could play in training. And, you know, the, uh, just to put it on them, see their faces when I trained, when did the exercises and stuff like that, that showed them what they have got to be, you know, to take my place. And that's just a wee bit of competition that goes along with the goalkeepers. Yeah, you can wish them all the best in the world, but in the back of the mind, you're thinking, Hearts, I hope they win 5-4, I hope they mm. win 4-3, and things like that. That's what a goalkeeper thinks. And I'll tell you that now. And I've spoke to a, a few of them, and that's how we all think. Wish them all the best, 
let them get on with. And the competition was was okay, but I knew that the level I could be at because the training I was doing, the training I did at least to start with to get my physical shape in was um, was not the best. And when I first arrived at Hearts, and not not speak to Tony Ford, but spoke to Alex, and I says to Alex, I need a goalkeeping coach in this club, you know, to take me up the next level. I need one in. So he brought in Peter McCloy. And the first one I went with Peter McCloy is he was a, tr- a, co- a, a training coach, if you know what I mean. He got me fit. He wasn't a technical goalkeeping coach. He got me fit. Right. And then when he had to go, uh, got another job somewhere, he was put away, and couldn't do the uh, the job at Hearts as a coach, Alex brought in Jim Stewart. Jim Stewart was a technical coach, and he got me how to move my feet, how to move my hands, how where my hands should be, shouting and organisation and stuff like that. So I had that. My fitness was up there big time. And my technical work came after working with, uh, with, with Jim Stewart. And mm. that's how I kept up at that standard. 195 consecutive league appearances included season 1985-86. We had John Colhoun on, and John was talking about the start of that season, where if it wasn't yep. for Paul McStay in added time uh, in yep. the first game, you would have beaten Celtic. Then you get thumped 6-2 at St Mirren and yep. 3-1 at Ibrox. And yep. it wasn't until the... The end of uh, of August when you beat Hibs two one um, to get your first league win. At which yeah. stage of that season did you think? Because the unbeaten run started against Dundee at Tynecastle on the fifth of October. So, at which yep. stage of that season did you think? Hold on a minute here. We we've got a chance of winning this. Right. We, I, as you said, the unbeaten run started then. Um, we just went through that season, Mark. Just taking one, as, as the old uh, cliche of taking one match at a time. That's all we did. And then when we got to maybe 16 unbeaten, 17 unbeaten, they got, got confidence in the team, the, the camaraderie in the team. It just got so stronger and stronger and stronger. And when we lined up in the tunnel for each game we played, the other teams just looked at us because we were egging each other on. We were giving them, look at them, guys. They're shaking themselves. They don't want to play us. And, and that just gives you a 1-0 up already before you actually go across the white line. And we knew that we were playing extremely well. Then we hit 20 games. Then it was last 10 games of the season. We were up top of the league. We were, I think, four games in front of Celtic. And they were playing catch-up. They were playing during the week. We were playing Saturday-Saturday. They were playing Saturday-Wednesday, Saturday-Wednesday. And we were thinking just to ourselves, they must let up because they were scoring goals like last minute jobs, getting goals first minute, then hanging on. And we were thinking, we've got to slip up, they will do. And then, of course, a couple of slip ups here. Then, then we won in two, we went up to Tannadice. That's when we thought, what a chance we've got here. Because we were up to Tannadice, who had a decent team, by the way, in them days, mm. decent team, and we thumped them 3 0. Robbo's goal, Henry. Robbo's, <gasps> Robbo's goal, and the save I made for Eamon. That's the the things that come out of that that game. 
uh, at the time to get the Sabres at 1-0, kept us in the game. Uh, again, of course, we Robert got another one. I think Sandy, Sandy Clark got another one. Yeah, I think so. Something so, like that. So when I win the 3-0 and then we just, that's when I thought, what a chance we've got here because we've got Hamilton, I think it was, ha- well, Clyde Banks, sorry, at mm-hmm. home and then up to Dundee, I think, or was that, or Aberdeen in between us? We won one yeah, you had Aberdeen on the Sunday, which was live on STV. That's right. Uh, Clyde Banks, which was rearranged, and then and Dundee was... Dundee. Yeah. Was that the Aberdeen game? It was 1-1, one, one. they got a penalty. Yeah, yeah, yeah Peter Weir and then Colhoun equalised later on. That's right, that's right. And we thought, great chance of doing something, because we, had, we were two goals better off, I think, as well, because the goal difference. So a draw would have done us... Well, when we go back up to Dens, but the thing is about the Tardis game. Before that, because everybody was saying, right, come on, this is the big one. This is the big one. And we just went out and we just played as usual, what we did. The conference was flowing. The fence was on fire. We robber was on fire. And we just did a demolition job on them. And we thought, got a chance. Mm. And that was, that's what we thought anyway, the three games to go. So what happened, Henry? I'll, I'll let Mark do the diffi- I'll do. I'll let Mark do the difficult job of dealing with the the last game, our Cheers. games of the season. But you know, this is a Hearts team who, till this day, I mean, since 1960, haven't won yeah. the title. And this season is really, really the only time they've come close. I know we've had 98, we've had 2006, where they made a decent attempt, but it didn't. Yeah. It didn't get anywhere near as close as this. So, what happened to Hearts at that point? Because you're talking. What was it three or four out of four seasons they've been in the first division? I think you had two seasons in the first division when you first came. Yeah, but correct. you see the progress, it's like third in the first division, second in promotion, fifth yeah. in the in the premier. Uh, and then suddenly 85, 86. What happened? But why is what happened with this team that they managed to make a hearts team who've not won the league since <laughs> since 1960 become a team that could all, you know, almost have one hand on the trophy, so to speak? We Dory brought in players um, that he moulded into that team. Youth, experience, runners, uh, playmakers, uh, solid, kind of solid defence. Right down the spine of the team was was, was good, and he, and he made it out with like the um, the two centre halves were good. Uh, the middle of the park with, with Gary and we Calhoun. And you had the, the old guy, Sandy, up front, the wee, wee Robbo. And then you just filled him in with Chuck Berry. Um, you know, we, we Kenny Black was there. And so we had a team that kind of just moulded together. And now came down to Alex with, with, with an eye for a player, or Sandy with an eye for a player. And it was just moulded in together. You could see us in training, the way we understood each other, the way the movement um, and we, we, we transferred that onto the pitch in match days and it came off and of course we had individuals who could uh, smack in goals left, right and centre we had uh, defenders who you know, threw themselves and in, 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 you know, blocking shots and stuff like that and then the odd save or the, sorry, the odd save just to carve out now and then you know, and we had a, an endurance where we, you know, we, we saw out games when we had to defended when we had to put our lights on it, on the line for it. And, and that's just the kind of team we had in them days. It was an absolutely excellent kind of team that say, Sandy and uh, Alex put together. Sandy, Dens Park. Um, <laughs> looking at the team, okay? So yeah. the, the crux, 
the, the team that I, that was my first season watching, and it was Smith Kidd, Whitaker, Jarden, Berry Levine, Calhoun Black, Clark McKay, Robertson. So yeah. the, 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 the only two real changes to that kind of team yeah. were Ian, Ian Jarden for Kenny Black, but the big one was Roddy McDonald for Craig Levine, who yeah. flew whatever it was. Was there a bug going around the team in the days leading up to that that you can remember? I can remember there's a male, just a male one, this player's coming in way, way, can he sniffles? You know, that was all a bit sore tummies, but no, not as much as people made out, really. Um, but the, the big mess, I mean, I thought it was big, big shoes, big Craig Levine, you know, because he, he just dominated, you know, he's he shouting his organisation in front of me. It was, was absolutely exceptional, you know, and when people made mistakes at back, his pace, you didn't know how quick Craig was. Till you actually see, I stood behind him, he, and and you watched how quickness he read things and how quickness he covered the ground, you know, just to cut out the danger. You know, that that's, that was a huge miss. I thought that day, and of course, the refereeing decision of the penalty kick, you mm-hmm. know, which he never gave, uh, was you know we thought it was a penalty kick, but these these things happen. These this decay, uh, you know, levels itself all the way through the season. But at the end of the day, we actually didn't put the chances. We actually, I don't think I, I can remember, I, I didn't make a save, yeah. you know, in that game, you know, before the score from the corner kick, you know, um, which we didn't defend really well. Um, and then, of course, the wee mistake at the end with the guy just run through and, you know, one-on-one and put it away. But that, that's, that was the way it was, it was never going. Because when I came off at half time and, and one of the photographers was giving it, it was Celtic or 4 0 up, big man. And I told him, wait, you know, go bollocks, sort of thing. And I, he just went, yes, they're up 4 0, which meant, you know, we're still top of the league, but they cut the goal difference down to being two in front, sort of thing. So, but it was meant, it was never meant to be, mate. And that was it. Couldn't put a finger on it. We didn't play that day. And I just thought maybe the big shoes would have been the difference. Couldn't settle something for me because things grow yeah. arms and, and, and legs, Henry, over over time. And, and with some heart supporters saying Craig Levine could have played if he wanted to play. Do you think, with regards to Craig Levine and that bug, given everything that he did for the football club that season, and he played the following week against Aberdeen, if he was in any state to be able to play, surely he would have played. So Correct. I think that this having a go at Craig Levine, oh, he, he should. It's easy to re, to be revisionist and rewrite history. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think you have to stand up for someone here, and if he would have given the bonuses that were on offer and, and a potential league win, which would have probably meant a cup win as well. If Craig Levine was even 50, 60 percent, surely he would have played in oh, that game. Yes, Mark. He, 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 he must have been floored by that. Oh, yeah, he was he was in his de- he was his like his deathbed sort of thing talking. He was you know sick as a pig on the Friday, you know no strength no nothing, um absolutely lethargic. So he was he was no good to us. He was no good to us on on the actual day and for a game of that magnitude. Mm. And and so Alex took the, the the decision to leave him out and put Big Roddy in, um, but he couldn't play whatsoever. You know he he, he never. You know, he could, didn't recover in time anyway. You know, he had no strength. Uh, he wouldn't have lasted 20 minutes in the park. I think it's important to, to kind of set the record straight because you know yeah. what it's like. Once you say something enough times and people just, just believe it, oh, it's Levine's fault for not playing. 
Hearts no, no. could have been two or three nil down if he had played and had to go off after 20 minutes. So, look, it, I'm not sticking up for anybody here. I just want to no. set a record straight. So it's nil-nil at halftime. And look, yeah. Celtic could have been 20 nil up because Correct. the scoreline at Dens Park would have meant that Hearts still won the league. You could. Yeah. This is where you can go back and you can say, well, you beat Clyde Bank the couple of weeks beforehand and or the week before if you'd scored more goals there. <laughs> The bottom line is that Albert Kidd came on weirdly for Tosh McKinley after 61 minutes. Yeah. And they they needed, they were still hopeful of qualifying for Europe. Europe um, right. They had Colin Hendry playing for them. They had a fair bit of height, Jim Duffy. Yeah. Do you and look back where, at the... Yes, yeah, do you look... Yeah. Exactly. Do you look back at that goal that they scored, that Albert Kidd scored with, uh, with seven minutes remaining? And, and everyone's obviously got their job to do. Um, yeah. Do you feel you could have done any more? That any of your teammates could have done any more marking, or how do you look back at that goal if you ever do or have? Everything, right? Everybody, everybody was marked. Everybody was marked. We we, we noticed that. We, we we went through it before the actual game. Where we had to go, who picked up who, wherever. And then we went across. You know, Albert Kidd was he got, he lost his marker basically. That was it. I think anyone was supposed to mark him, but he lost his marker. We never won the first ball. And of course, the second ball just drops to him and he rifles it in the top bin. So, defend it better. We could have won the first ball better. Maybe Big Roddy should have won the first ball because it came in there. But like you said, they had big lads in there. We had uh, Roddy as a big lad. Sandy Clark, near post. Always had him near post. Then you had Brian Whitaker, who was, was uh, a big lad as well. Reasonably big. But not as big as, as yet they had because they were a couple of inches bigger than us. So that's the main thing that we thought before the game was set pieces would be our undoing if we could, if we're not um, dealing with them. And we didn't deal with that one and we got punished for it. And as I say, mate, that, that, was, that, that was the end of it. We, we never, that floor does and we couldn't get back in, into the game. The thing that gets me is the penalty award. But, I yeah, mean, the penalty award. Bill, Bill Crombie's a Hearts fan, right? And, and for depending on who you believe, and again, it's it's hearsay or whatever, he yeah. supposedly has said in later life that he should have given it. But why did they even give him that game, knowing that he was a Hearts supporter? Well, we, we know what you thought about that. The referee, excuse me, being a Hearts fan, he was one of the better referees, Mark. Uh, as we all thought. Oh, he was, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was, was good. He was, he was a good referee. And that's why a porting game, you know, magnitude of the actual game. So they had to get him to the best referee. And he was one of them uh, to be available. The other referee went to the Celtics, uh, the Celtics and Mern game. And we got Bill. And right, he made a decision. He said afterwards he got it wrong. And, you know, it's, it's hindsight and all that. But he's going like a split second. And I, I won't criticise referees because I've got a difficult job that they have. But it's just a decision today, VR, VR and M days, there would have been a penalty kick. Yeah, but yeah. Split, decision, split decision he's got to make on that. He didn't do it. And, of course, it was um, our, our downfall that uh, we never gave it to us. When we had John Cahoon on, he yeah. you could you could hear that it still it still hurts a little bit when he thinks yeah. about back to that day. I mean, this is this is obviously a long time ago. Just just to make you both feel old, I wasn't actually born when we played <laughs> Dundee at Dead oh, Park. Thanks very much. That. Uh, <laughs> three weeks three weeks later, so it was a really bad month for my dad, who was a Hearts fan. Um, <laughs> thanks, Laurie. <laughs> 
does when you think back does that do, do you ever feel uh, do you still feel any kind of pain thinking back to that or any regret that what could have been none whatsoever mate it was a terrific terrific season um uh, that we had and the team we had yeah it was a shame that we didn't go all the way and as mark said we probably went and got a better account of ourselves in the cup final a week later but no regrets whatsoever um, that season I played well the two seasons plus this one leading up to it got me got me in the Scotland squad so I've no regrets whatsoever only regret we never won the cup uh, a week after and the league then um, where our football merited us winning that because we played some terrific football that season the fans loved it the media loved it and the the you know they other people who don't support it, but they loved it coming watching it, and it's an absolute delight. The crowds were cr- absolutely firing into Tynecastle, and we were playing in full houses every week. It was magnificent, you know, magnificent. And that's, you know, uh, gets the the the, uh, the players going. That gets them um, firing all cylinders, and to entertain the crowd, which I, I thought I did all the time. Sometimes went over the top. Absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it. And that's the kind of connection I've got with the Hearts fans uh, between them and me. That brings us to the end of part one of our chat with former Hearts goalkeeper Henry Smith. Part two of this episode of Scarves Around the Funnel will be released very shortly. So keep an eye on all your podcast apps and the Scarves Around the Funnel Twitter page, which is at Around the Funnel. And you can also contact us by email to podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk. Until next time, thanks for listening.